We're at the symphony, and we're talking with Richard Diadamo, longtime violinist in the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, to run down just a few of the facts of your career. You can correct me here, but I want to make sure I have it correct. You started the violin at eight in Philadelphia, age eight. You went to the Eastman School of Music. After graduating from Eastman, you were at the Taos School of Music in the summers. You were hired by the Syracuse Symphony. You played in the Rochester Symphony Orchestra. And in 1968, you joined the Pittsburgh Symphony. You founded the Amati String Trio. You won the Concert Society audition, their competition, in 1981. And you played with David Stock and the Pittsburgh New Music Ensemble, a piece by Thomas Jansen, which is called Harlequin for Richard Diadamo. You were the concertmaster and a soloist on several occasions with the Edgewood Symphony Orchestra. And you've been happily married for quite some time to the love of your life, Catherine. So it's <laughs> wonderful that Catherine's with us as well. <laughs> Catherine and Richard, so great to talk to you. What a joy. Well, thank yes, you. It's great to talk to you, too. Jim. Thank you. All right. Let's begin at the, at the beginning. You began at age eight in Philadelphia. Was it a musical household? Uh, any other musicians in the family? My brother played saxophone. Uh but uh, we were the only musicians in, in the family. <laughs> what was it for lessons? What were your earliest experiences there around the house? Well, I took private lessons. I uh, started out in the school. I was in third grade. So I, I took uh, lessons through the Philadelphia School Board, and then my dad said, it's time to get you a teacher, a private teacher. He got me a private teacher from the Philadelphia Orchestra. His name was Armand Camilo, And then I studied... He would come to my house and teach, teach me privately, and that's pretty much what, what I did. And then I went through school, I got through high school. I was, I mean, I studied privately with him. So he, I just kept studying and I, playing with the, the All-City Orchestra in Philadelphia. And, and then when, when I was in my senior year, I was concertmaster of the All-City Orchestra. That's how I got a uh, a scholarship to go to the uh, Eastern School of Music. And when did you know that music was going to be your focus, that you wanted to do music as much as possible? Uh, do you remember when that was? Yes, from the very beginning. I oh. mean, uh, they used to say I, I would eat and sleep music. I'm going to go back a little bit. I was sitting in, in third grade, actually. I was sitting there, and they came around to the the music department came around to the school, to my classroom, and said, would anyone like to play violin? We have five violins. I raised my hand because I wanted to go down and sign up, and I didn't get, I didn't get selected. Yeah. It was six of us. I raised my hand, and I wasn't selected to, to play. They did tell me, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Some, somebody will probably drop out down the, down the road, and, and we'll have a, a violin for you. And sure enough, someone, in a few weeks, I got called back down to the music room and said, you have your uh, violins to pick from. <laughs> so I raised my hand, and I got started, and that was it. And, and they, I, I was actually the only one that stayed with yeah. it because when I graduated, there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't another violin in the class. So <laughs> it, it was kind of ironic. Please share any memory you have of the Eastman School. What was it like at Eastman when you were there? Eastman was uh, was was a great school. Uh, I really liked Eastman a lot, very much. Very professional, great competition. People were very friendly. And Did you pursue chamber music there? Did you play in the orchestra? You must have done it all, I'm guessing. And uh, who were your teachers there at Eastman? No, I studied with Joseph Knitzer. He was, he was my violin teacher. Tell me about Knitzer. What do you remember? Oh, he was he, he was an excellent, wonderful teacher. Excellent, excellent musician. Just uh, enjoyed studying with him very, very much. And then yes, Carol uh, Joseph Knitzer left Eastman. I studied with him for two two years. He uh, he decided to go to Michigan to teach. And when he went to Michigan, Carol Glenn came to Rochester. I, I love Carol Glenn also. Very, very, uh, very warm, very supportive teacher. And so I studied with her for two years, and then one year after after Eastman, I studied with, with her also. So it was three years 
altogether. And, and Carol Glenn, she, she was uh, very supportive of me. It's really about the teacher, isn't it? The relationship that you have with well, the teacher. That makes all the difference in the world. And you had two terrific teachers, Knitzer and Glenn. Yes, yes. Now, are there any specific musical events during the Eastman years, concerts, pieces of music that you remember working long and hard on or loving a great deal, uh, and any particular uh, music that shaped you from the years at Eastman? Well, every year they, they would have the Festival of American Music. Howard Hansen was the, the director of the Eastman School of Music, and he would, he would play have these this festival every every year in the spring. I did get to play with that group with Howard Hansen because I I had gotten into the uh, Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra and they would have this festival as I said and so I would I would get to play that almost every year that I was there. Remember anything about Hansen? What sort of a presence was he? Uh, he conducted, I assume, his own music. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. We we conducted his own music a lot of the symphonies, Marymount. Uh, the big symphony they uh, often do with Hansen is the romantic. The, romantic symphony, yes. The second one, it's yeah. beautiful. The middle movement is absolutely gorgeous. So you would have played that with Hansen? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. And do you remember what kind of a conductor was he? Is it, was he uh, stern or warm and friendly? How would you describe his character on the podium? No, he was very friendly and. I remember he had mannerisms that thought were really good, funny. Like he would rub his chin while he's conducting. He go, "Okay, let's 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 play once more. Like once more, he would go, and he would be rubbing his chin." And uh, I remember one time I went to my hometown right about this time of the year, and I went to hear the Philadelphia Orchestra play, and Hanson walked out. He was on the program. <laughs> wow. Any other memories of working in either Rochester or Syracuse during those years? Yeah, I remember I, I got to play with the, the uh, with the Syracuse Symphony. That was my junior year at Eastman. Carol Glenn wanted me to go over and take the audition and get this kind of a wonderful experience in playing with these orchestras. So I went, I went over and I, I got to play... With uh, I had to audition for uh, the, con- the the con- conductor. Yeah, the conductor of the Syracuse Symphony, the man who, who the Albon Berg Violin Concerto was written for. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty big thing. Yeah. Yes. And he was the conductor, uh, the concertmaster, and his wife was principal second violinist. I got to play with. I don't think it's. Am I, am I thinking Carl Chris? The conductor is Carl Chris. I don't know who. I don't oh, know. that's right. That's the, the Carl Kritz was the man I played for to get the job. Yeah, he was the conductor, Carl Kritz. So anyway, that that was uh, how I, I I came to go and play for the, with the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra, and uh, I would I would go on the weekends play uh, the subscription concerts. It was a nice beginning, you know. And then so I stayed there for one year. Carol Glenn called me down and she said, I want Laszlo Shomaji to hear you play. See if you can get into the Rochester Philharmonic. So I said, great, I would love to do that. And then, so she arranged that I had to go to her studio and went there and got to play for him and I got the job. I played my senior year. I stayed on another two years after that. 1968, you joined the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Do you remember the audition? It was kind of similar to the Carl Fritz, the other, you know, from from from. Uh, and was was this uh, with William Steinberg? Would he have been part of the audition? Fritz Siegel was the concertmaster. I auditioned for William Steinberg. Yeah, I was. Oh wait, I'm trying to think. The part with uh, with. Uh, so I, I was still when I was first playing with uh, with. Uh, yes, Carol Glenn asked me to go to Taos in the summer. Yeah coaching chamber music at the Taos School of Music. It was, it was a, a summer music camp. She asked me t- to go there, and, and I, I, was, I, was, I was concerned because this was during the height of the Vietnam War, and I thought for sure I was going to get drafted. While I was there, oh, in the meantime, I had uh, won a full fellowship to go for my master's, and while, while I was there, I realized that I would probably get drafted. They weren't 
at that time, they weren't deferring grad, graduate students. I was trying to think of, I did find out that they were deferring teachers, public school teachers. I was a double major at these. I was a music ed, and I was a violin performance major also. While I was there, I got my uh, teaching degree, and I figured I'm going to, during that summer, before I went out to Taos, I'm going to uh, try to uh, get a job teaching at the Philadelphia School Board and ho ho hope that hopefully that I can continue with my teaching and everything. I went to the Philadelphia School Board that summer, took the audition, selected to start teaching in the, in the fall in Philadelphia. While I was there, I went out, I left for Taos and I was teaching out there. All of a sudden, my, my letter came to take my army physical. And I figured, well, this is it now. <laughs> you know, hopefully this, this teaching uh, physician will keep me out of the, out of the draft. Uh, while, while I was out there, I got called for my physical, and they took me to Albuquerque. I, I went for my physical, and while I was there, I flunked the physical, Jim. Oh, boy. <laughs> I what? flunked, yeah, because I had flat feet. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I think now they, they think that it's a good thing. But <laughs> anyway, I, so I flunked the physical. Hooray. <laughs> You're That's not, great qualified for military service at this time. I got back on the bus to go back from to Taos, New Mexico, and I told, got my father, father on the phone. I said, you're not going to believe, believe this, Dad. I just flunked the Army physical. So my father said, wow, you know, what are you going to do? The same day that I flunked the physical, my, my father said, and I told him that I flunked the physical, he said, you got something in the mail from from uh, Rochester. And so I said, well, what is it? You know, read, open it up, read it to me. He says, Rochester's just offered you a full-time job with the Rochester Philharmonic. I couldn't believe it. It was, And I said, well, please send it to me. So he sent me the, the, the letter, and I... I immediately said, I have to see if I can get out of my teaching position. So I, I did get out. Dr. Dr. Worson was his name. He knew me because I was his concert master in senior, senior year in high school. And he, he said, I'll let you go uh, if, if, that's what you, if that's what you want for your career. And I said, I, I said oh, thank you so much. And it turned out that I, I signed, signed the contract for Rochester, and that's when that fall I went back to Rochester. So what I'm trying to say is my whole career seemed to come to life in one day, one afternoon. And I stayed Roch with Rochester for three years, and then I saw a vacancy right. uh, with, the, with the Pittsburgh uh, Symphony, and I knew that my violin teacher, Armand DiCamillo, played in the Roch Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. I saw that my teacher was there, and I kept thinking, Wow, this, this 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 sounds like a good omen. I I have to go back and, and see if I can follow after my teacher's foot footsteps. So I I came back here and got the job. I've been here ever since. <laughs> well, a memory of Steinberg. Steinberg had been with the orchestra for quite a while in 1968. To yeah, his, what 25? Yes, nearly 25 years. In 68, he was getting a little. Closer to his last years, he's still strong on the podium then? Not 100%. There were times uh, you can see that, that it was hard. Uh, he made some mistake. I think we were in, in Japan, and he started to play La Mer, I believe it was. And he started to, made a mistake with the opening of starting the uh, piece. And But, I mean, you know, he was such a, a wonderful conductor that it was covered up real fast. Mike, Mike Rabanier was, I don't know if you recall Mike Rabanier, the, the uh, He was not in the orchestra while I was here, but I've met him. He went off to Phil uh, San Francisco, right? Oh, oh, he wasn't here. Okay. Yeah. And anyway, he, he covered it up right away. And I guess it was getting difficult for him. He, he, I know he did some teaching conducting with, uh, I think, New York for a while. And then, and, and then uh, he was in Boston for a time. Boston, yes. Was, am, I, am I correct about New York also? I'm not sure. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I uh, thought so also. Uh -huh. Now, do you remember anything else about that Japanese tour? That was a huge tour. You well, were in... it was very exciting to, to go around Japan. 
I think the interest in classical music in Japan has grown very much over the last half oh, yeah. century. Uh, did, did you do you remember that the audiences were enthusiastic? Extremely enthusiastic. Yes, they were very well received. I remember a big, I remember big audiences. Practically, I think most of it was all sold out. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a real... I know backstage at Heinz Hall, there's a picture of the concert in Tokyo, I think, and there are television cameras with the national network NHK. So there must have been quite a bit of interest in the orchestra's trip to Japan. Uh, any other tours with Steinberg that you remember? I know Steinberg was at the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland. I'm not sure if that was during your time, but you used to do domestic tours with him. You would go to the Midwest and uh, quite a quite a bit of touring in the area where you'd be on the bus with Steinberg. Oh, yes. Steinberg always sat in the front of the first bus. There were three buses. We called the first bus, that was known as the, the, the hospital bus, <laughs> <laughs> because nobody was allowed to smoke. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and most of the people that sat on the hospital bus they they stayed very quiet, <laughs> and then then they would have the fun bus. That would be the second bus, and then there would be all kinds of jokes and everything going on there and having fun. And then the third bus was kind of in between. I I, I kind of sat on the second bus. <laughs> A lot of my friends were back there, and I I enjoyed it. And Steinberg rode on the bus with the musicians. He didn't go by private car. No, he sat on the first the first. Uh, front seat, the very front seat of the bus. Uh, that's where he sat. And he'd be there with his, his score, you know, studying the score. It was very nice. Any other tour mem- memories of any particular cities, places you remember the concert hall or that the... Well, this is what I have to say. is When Previn came, it had been quite a while since the orchestra had, right. had toured. Right. Then, then we started touring all of a sudden. Uh, Previn kind of opened up the touring for, for the Pittsburgh Symphony. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't really get that much chance to, to do, tour with Steinberg, other than, you know, around, around the United States. Well, we used to go all the way to the West Coast and play a lot around the, around the states here. But we, we would stop, go from Pittsburgh across. That's a lot of miles all the way across America, a lot of hours on the bus. Yeah, and, we, you know, we played at a lot of universities, just uh, we'd always have a, sol- a soloist with us, you know. Uh, so it, 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 it was it was it was fun. Any other Steinberg memories? Uh... One thing I remember about Steinberg was he had a delayed beat. He would throw a downbeat, and then you would hear the orchestra come in like a second or two after he threw the downbeat. And a lot of people couldn't. I remember when I first came here, a lot of people said. How do you follow this this beat? You know, uh, they'd go bang, and then then the orchestra would come in, bang, boom. You know, so and I I just said you actually get used to this, and it just becomes like a natural way of following him, and it was it was really quite. Uh, remarkable at how well it was together. I guess you just get used to a situation like that. Not being a player, I can't feel it the way you do, but I, I know I've heard from other members of the orchestra who said that that would be very challenging, the, the delayed beat. Delayed beat, yes. And I, I think that uh, Thomas Thompson mentioned to me that they, uh, the players in the wind section would kind of watch to see when the hand or the baton would go past the second button on his formal wear to try to figure out where they were with the beat. You know, it was just they were looking for any sign to know where we are here. How is it going to begin? Yeah, but it, wasn't, it was never a mess, so to speak. Uh, it, it, it was right on. And then... When he wanted to lay down a perfect beat, he could do that, especially if the if the piece is changing, uh, where, where where you need it, you need a perfect beat to, to to hold it all together. He could do that very very well. And you know, it's funny because I was looking at a someone put it on on uh, YouTube, and I saw Beethoven Seventh, the first movement of Beethoven Seventh. And he had a perfect beat. 
I don't know if you saw this, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, it was, orchestra was together. It was exciting to watch. It really was. And it just brought all, all the memories of Steinberg back, I, you know, just the way he, his mannerisms, and very kind of a special kind of beat that, that, that made you feel like you, you were, had confidence. Your favorite repertoire with William Steinberg, he was known for his Central European, the Beethoven symphonies, all the standard repertoire. But yeah, he, he did. also, you know, it was uh, like uh, Mahler. He was a champion of Mahler before a lot of other conductors, perhaps even before Bernstein became known as a great Mahler conductor. Steinberg was on on the path with Gustav Mahler. Well, we have to talk about a little bit about Andre Previn. Uh, how was it working with Previn? I believe there's a photo of you in Vienna at the music. For Ryan, warming up, perhaps. Ben Spiegel would have taken it. And you were on, on that tour that Andre took to get the orchestra back on the, the touring path. Yeah, that's, that's when our start... Uh, you got the television exposure through Previn and the Pittsburgh. And oh, that, yeah. Na- national on PBS and started to make recordings again. You did the Mahler 4. Uh, and I think you might have played that in, in Vienna. I'm pretty sure that was one of the pieces you took on tour. Pretty sure, yes. Yeah, we... Uh, he he really got the the touring started up again, or not started up, but started right. I, that will be the first time we started touring. It, it had just been a period of time between Steinberg and and his last tour, and then when Andre took you on tour, it seems to me that he got you going out internationally again. Yes, I thought that was very exciting to do that to go go around Europe and see all the things that I, I would hope uh, would become come part of. It our natural touring with the orchestra. Well, of course, after Andre, you really got going with uh, years of Maris Janssen's. The, the tours were frequent. Exactly. Uh, we, did, we did a ton of touring with, uh, with Maris Janssen's. I think uh, he had us going like more than once a year sometimes. Twice a year we would go over. Now, how about the Previn and the Pittsburgh programs? Do you remember recording those? You did some at Heinz Hall, and some of them you came out to WQED. I was around when you did. You had John Williams conducting Star Wars, and, and Miklos Roja conducted the orchestra in the studio. This was before Star Wars had become the huge international force it is today. Uh, Andre and John Williams had been friends in, in Hollywood. Do you remember making any of those Previn and the Pittsburgh programs? Oh yes, yeah, we did uh, quite a few uh, of the ones, and and some of the uh, not just Star Wars, but the. Well, you had Andre asked uh, Itzhak Perlman to do a program with you. You had uh, all kinds of things were done with that series. It was really it was the most extensive classical music on PBS during those years, other than Evening at Symphony from Boston. Was You're it? right. Yeah, it was it was quite exciting to do that and. Uh, yeah, it really did. Uh, I think it really put put uh, Pittsburgh on, on the map. And any other memories of what Andre was like personally? He loved to play chamber music, and he he enjoyed the orchestra players. I think as colleagues uh, rather than the old style of being the the Kapellmeister, uh, the Fritz Reiner uh, disciplinary mode. He 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 uh, really seemed to enjoy. Playing the piano and appearing in Mozart with the orchestra, he played Gershwin with you, but he seemed to really enjoy the the company of musicians. Yes, he did. Uh, he was uh, he's like a friend to a lot of the musicians, and uh, playing playing music together, and uh, he 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 he, enjo- he enjoyed that, and he was a wonderful uh, jazz. Musician. And any other impressions of the other music directors that you've worked with? You you worked with, uh, we mentioned Maris Janssen's uh, thoughts about the, the, the great musicians you've had. Pittsburgh's been really fortunate to have had only the, the very best. Lauren Mazel. Mazel, absolutely. I always considered Lauren Mazel the hyphens of the baton. He just had a marvelous baton. Way of teaching was quite remarkable. I enjoyed that period of time with Bazell very much. 
Now, not everybody says that, you know. Some people found him frightening because of his incredible mind and having been a child prodigy. And there were times when, if he was unhappy with the way it was going, he seemed to be just, he wouldn't even look at the orchestra while he was uh, waving the baton. I, I liked him uh, very much. Uh, I always felt, it, felt very confident with him because uh, he, uh, he had such a, a great, as I said, I called him the hyphens of the baton. It, it was there, it was solid, uh, very secure with him. And I always felt that he had very good uh, certain tempos that, that were very comp- uh, made you feel very uh, confident. He would do unusual things, too. Sometimes Brahms could be much slower than other conductors. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. interesting. He had the nerve to do different kinds of things, which made you pay attention. That's right. That's right. He would uh, he would just do certain things that you would think I'm not so sure about this. But then when it when it came together, it came together. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it worked exactly. And how about Maris Janssens? I can't believe that he also is no longer with us. But he was an amazing talent. Oh, he was. Yeah, and uh, tremendously energetic. I mean, I, he would be completely worn out by the time he, he conducted about 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it was really uh, exciting, and, and, and uh, tempos and everything were vibrant. Now, you told me that Manfred Honeck called you to say hello and check on you. He's called me several times. Wonderful man. Fantastic. I, I love the guy. He's great. He calls me after a concert. He called me one, It was like 12.30 his time in Europe. He said, I just got finished playing, uh, uh, conducting uh, Fidelio. And then he, he would say, want to know how I'm doing. He, he, he called me the first time, just out of the clear. He said, uh, hello, Richard, this is Manfred Honick, and I just want to let you know that you are, will always be a member of the Pittsburgh Symphony. I will always uh, take uh, uh, you will always be a family in, in our orchestra, and I was very touched by that. I, I thanked him, and he's, he's you know, he, he's very religious. He, he and he says, "I'm praying for you." And when I was when I was in the hospital earlier this year, I, I was I was in an, a, a, a vet, the ventilator. I had pneumonia. And he said, I'll pray for you and hope that you recover from this. And, and so he's done that. And since then, he's, I don't know, several times he's called me. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It's wonderful. That fits with what folks say about Maestro Hanek. And I'm sure glad that he's checking on you. And I would like to have him praying for all of us, that's for sure, given the coronavirus and the crazy situation that the world seems to be in today. I'm keeping you much too long, but there are a couple other things that I have to ask you about. The piece that you premiered, the New Music Ensemble, Thomas Jansen piece. Tom- oh, yes. He, he, uh, Tom Jansen asked me, would you play a concerto if I wrote it for you? And I said, absolutely. So he wrote this piece called The, the Harlequin for Richard D'Adamo. I played it for him. I played it at Carlo College, the first performance. And the second performance was in the New York Symphony Space. That was the second time I played, played it for it. And I got reviewed for it. I was very happy. Uh, uh, what's his name now? Uh, who's the, the, the man that uh, reviewed it? Uh, Robert. Yeah, he- Crone, uh, he he uh, he wrote that I it was at Chatham. He, he gave me the review on it. He said that that uh, Richard Diadamo played the Harlequin, the concerto with confidence and yeah. flair throughout. I was really quite expected of that because a lot of people said that he was pretty hard. I remember Solapini, Connie Solapini says, "Well, how do you wait? You're the first person I know to get it." A good uh, review from him. <laughs> Robert could be tough. There's no question about it. <laughs> the years you were in the orchestra, one of the things that comes up often among the players in the Pittsburgh Symphony is how powerful playing at the Vatican was with Pope John Paul. Was it the same for you? Were you as, as impressed as, as many people are with that event? Uh, I was tr- extremely impressed 
with the Vatican. First time I had ever been there. It was quite exciting to meet a a, a pope for the very first time. Because the Pittsburgh Symphony was the first orchestra to ever play for for a pope. The pope was on stage with you, and many. I felt I was there too, and I have to uh, yes. pinch myself to think of how emotional the whole thing was. It was being televised live, but he actually asked for a bit of Mahler as an encore, which was amazing too. Yes, he yes he did, and. Uh, his, his conductor uh, conducted it. Gilbert Levine. Levine, yes. Yeah, that was, that was quite exciting, I think. Yeah, apparently that was the first time he'd ever asked for an encore. Yes, the, mm-hmm. the very first time and, for an encore. You know, he, he, it, you felt like you got a, a, an eye into his soul a little bit. He seemed to be smiling, even though he was in very poor health and wasn't very mobile. He was there, and he was totally into it. It was wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, I felt that also. Were you able to get around the Vatican at all? Did you see a mass or see any of the sites? Oh, absolutely. We went to the Vatican Sistine Chapel. We were able to go around and buy some artifacts. You also, during your career, coached the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra, the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra too. And you taught. You were an adjunct professor at Washington and Jefferson. You actually started the string program there. Would you share some of your memories of working with Tripo and Paiso, working at W&J? Yes. I I, I was a first violin coach for uh, three young people's orchestra. And And the youth symphony as well. Youth youth symphony, yes. I tried to get those things going. It was lots of fun. I, I enjoy working with young people. People still get in touch with me. It's it's very rewarding. And what was the string program like at W and J? That involved a little bit of driving to get to Washington and Jefferson. W and J, yeah, I, I used to drive down there, uh, co- coach them on on the weekends. I did teach during the week, but there were parts of the weekend too that I I would go down there. I uh, constantly tried to keep in touch with them. Well, it sounds like. Your own experiences in South Philadelphia, the learning experience carried with you into your teaching career. And I know that you were inducted into the South Philadelphia Cultural Hall of Fame in 2015. Mario Lanza was, too. Yes, he uh, grew up in South Philadelphia, not very far from my my house in South Philly. I think he passed away back in 1959. I was quite uh, Im- impressed to uh, get inducted into the same year that Mario Lanza was inducted into the South Philadelphia High School Hall of Fame. It, it just, it just, uh, it just, it just was marvelous for me to have experienced that. Popular, it became famous from his film work. Mario was amazing. Oh, I know he had a great, great voice. Very powerful. He made the uh, great Caruso. I think he made about 10, 12 uh, movies. movies. Well, many, many famous people graduated from South Philadelphia. South Philly had Mark Richmond, Lucas Richmond's dad. Who else? A lot of the rock and rollers. (laughs) Chubby Checkers. Fabian. Fabian. Frankie Avalon, Klugman, yes, Persichetti. The, the line goes on and on and on. It was something in the water, I guess. Pretty amazing fertile ground there in, in South Philly. And, and you were part of that whole uh, mix, that milieu. At the uh, opening of Heinz oh, yeah, Hall, Marion Anderson was there. Barber, Charlton Heston, Greg, Gregory Peck. That was in uh, 1971 when Heinz opened up. That's something I've always wondered about. I know that you had a premiere. It was called The Photograph of a Yestern Scene, a short piece by Samuel Barber. It was a world premiere commissioned for the opening of Heinz Hall, but I never knew whether Samuel Barber was actually there. Do you remember him being at Heinz Hall? I can't swear, but I kind of think I did. I think he was there. He must have been. I think I did. Surely a guy from Philadelphia would have come for the premiere of his piece and the opening of Heinz Hall. Charlton Heston was definitely there. I know. I remember seeing him. Yep. 
But Barbara, I've, I've never been sure. I don't think there's a photograph of Barbara, and that might be the problem, that nobody, he, he wasn't as, you know, uh, well-known as a film star, so perhaps nobody got a picture of him that, 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 that survived. But it really was an amazing occasion. QED was involved because we broadcast it on PBS, and yes. uh, I've seen the film. I remember that very well. I think it was the Penn State Choir sang in the, in the Mahler Resurrection Symphony. Uh, it was really quite an occasion, and you were there. Yep. <laughs> wow. I was there, yeah. <laughs> you dedicated f four seats in the new Hatch Hall at Eastman, and you made a substantial donation, $5,000 to South Philadelphia High School to continue the music program there, all to give back to the schools that helped to form your music career. Not everybody gives back, Richard. That is really wonderful to do. Oh, that's the least I could do. Hatch Hall. I haven't been there yet. Have you been to Hatch Hall at oh, Eastman? Oh, yeah. What is it like? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a beautiful uh, hall and a very nice acoustic. I was very proud to give four seats to that hall. Oh. I, I like leaving things. And uh, did you get? Did you, did you actually get your name on the back of the seat on the on the back of the chair? Does it say name and my degree and everything? And then dedicated one to my violin teacher Glenn. Also, my, my mother and father-in-law. I left one to for my parents. Well, I'm going to put that on my list of things to do, to go to Hatch Hall and sit in the chair <laughs> in your... I'll tell you exactly yeah. where it is. That's a walk must. Right, walk right down to the front row. I'm the first four seats on the left side of the front row. Right, right next to the president of the university. All uh, right. I'm sure he wanted the aisle seat, but, you know, timing is everything. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> we got there first. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share? I could say that the, at the end of the, the season, Marvin Hamish brought me up to the stage, interviewed me in, uh, in front of the stage, which I thought was very nice of him to do that. We talked about you know my plans after after uh, I leave the orchestra and tell him about hobbies I had and that sort of thing. I was into antique cars. And so I, I, I was telling him about that sort of thing. Antique cars? I don't know if we've talked about antique cars. Yeah, I, I, I had a 1950 uh, Packard. I had a 1973 uh, Carmen Ghia. And I have an old uh, Mercedes. <laughs> and did you enjoy restoring them yourself? Did you get under the hood? Uh, I kind of did. We looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, wow, that's an engine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I enjoy driving them <laughs> and, 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 and cleaning them up, that sort of thing. I, I was not me mechanically very good at that, repairing them. You know, I, I just kind of cleaned them up and drove them around and took them to shows and that sort of thing. It was a lot of fun. They sure. were head turners. Everybody watched, looked at it whenever he would drive. I, I, I spent hours in my garage. <laughs> I put a nice uh, heater in there. And in the wintertime, I would sit there and polish. <laughs> and everybody was astounded at how, how shiny they were. <laughs> I have to ask the story of your love of Kathy, the, the two of you. You've got to tell me the story of how you met. Oh, yes. That's right. Uh, we, we met at singles night. It was, they, they decided to have a Thursday night series. And it, it, so people... We were trying to get more singles people to come to the concerts. So they would have this series, and they would come. And I don't know if you remember, we used to have people uh, coming, and, and they opened a bar. I remember it very well. I was there for some of those get-togethers, absolutely. Right. Well, they were nice. That was fun. It was. And so that, that became very nice. The people would get gather after a concert, and sit around and have a drink. I decided, oh, I'm going to go down there one night. <laughs> I went to the, the singles night, and there was a little uh, a trio playing in the, bar, and the, uh, in the bar, and that's how I walked in, and I started. I had a drink, and I was sitting there just having a drink by myself. And all of a sudden, Kathy walks up. She says, you guys sounded good tonight. <laughs> she knew I was in the orchestra because I still had my tails on. <laughs> and she said, yeah, you guys uh, really, really sounded good tonight. Oh, that's embarrassing. And that was it. And then I started talking to her, and next thing you know, we got married. Uh, eight weeks later. Eight weeks later. <laughs>
This is a beautiful story. I just love it. Kathy, are, are there any details that Richard is forgetting, uh, leaving out? Uh, what's your memory of, of the event when you met? Oh, you mean that embarrassing line? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's about it. Oh, I went to every concert after that, and uh, I guess it was in April. He said, I have a week off. Do you want to get married? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said yeah, sure. <laughs> And uh, that, yeah, it was eight weeks later, and, and it's been 35 years. Well, congratulations. That's, <laughs> that's terrific. Thank uh, you. Uh, so advice for couples? Do you have, how, do, how, how do you have a happy life together? So many, is it 50% of, of marriages fail? Uh, you've made, managed to hold it together for 35 years. <laughs> what, what's the secret? Well, what, as Homer Simpson would say, the, or Marge Simpson, the uh, trouble with marriage is communication, too much communication. <laughs> so we, we just, I don't know, we just live. We don't, don't think about it. And music is a part of it for sure, I bet. You, know, you mentioned coming to all the, the concerts. Always a nice atmosphere around concerts. I think it brings people together, and you have the shared experience of hearing the music and talking about it. And I managed that every time, most of the time, when I went on tour, right, right. I, I made sure that she was with me. Right. She, she did most of the tours with the Pittsburgh Symphony. And and we had a great time doing that too, going going with all the different cities and. Uh... He had to have somebody to carry the bags. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. There are a few other odds and ends that I haven't asked you about. Chamber music playing. You had the Amati trio, and we were looking for a recording of Bartok contrasts that you did with Patricia Prentice Jennings, and I'm going to keep searching through the shelves here until I find it, but what was the occasion for the Bartok? Well, it was Pat Jennings who decided she wanted to perform that piece. So uh, she asked me and uh, Dick, Dick Page if we would like to play. And I said, sure. I had never played this piece before. I thought it was very, I thought it was a very difficult piece, but I, I, I figured this is this is a challenge. I agreed to to, to do it. So we, we would get together at Pat's home and and re- rehearse as much as possible. And then came to the time, and we and we did the performance. And I I, I remember uh, Andre Previn uh, was there. He came to the performance. He was very complimentary toward all of us. That, that's how it came about. You know, I, I guess it was Pat, Pat who decided to do the piece. It was not at Heinz Hall. Carlo, wasn't it? Carlo, Carlo College. That was at Carlo. Carlo, Carlo. Any other chamber music memories you'd like to share? The Amati String Trio. Oh, <laughs> the Amati String, yeah. We had a little trio that, that, that we would play... Uh, at some of the uh, uh, colleges also. There again, you, there were many, many performances, so trying to pick any one particular event I know is a challenge. I know I would play at the Road of Shalom, performances with various people from the Pittsburgh Symphony. Roy Son and I would uh, play together. Oh yes, I forgot about Edgewood. Uh, I uh, Roy Son was uh, had a Edgewood Symphony Orchestra. Uh, would I like to be concert master? So I, I said, I said yes, I would. And I I got to play several times with the Edgewood Symphony. And the nice part of it was that Roy just gave me this opportunity to play concertos on their subscription concerts. I got to do a Brook Violin Concerto. I did I did Sibelius there also. What else? Uh, oh, well, some, the Bach, the, the Bach a, a, a minor and G and the E major concertos. I got to play those. And, and it, it was a great opportunity for me to do something like that. So I, I played there for six years, concertmaster. I have to ask Kathy if there's anything else that I'm forgetting, anything else you'd like folks to know about Richard Diadamo. Yeah, his movie career. He, he was the violin coach for Sienna Miller in the movie The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. Do you remember that? I remember the film, but I didn't know Richard was the coach. He was the coach, and then he... Asked well, no, what happened was I wasn't the coach at first. There was another, but then something happened, and there were actually two. I'm not sure yeah. how you were hired as an extra to do that. Yes, and then the, the the girl that hired the the people, she 
I don't know if something happened and the, 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 the coach wasn't there anymore, and then she asked me to come in. But then you were actually in the quartet in the museum. Yeah, yeah. I sat in on some of the takes that they were doing. But I don't think uh, I, don't well, I think just I thought it was fun. The, fun. the funny line is, is that I wanted to go down and watch them make the movie, and you said no. Only actors are allowed on the set. So <laughs> he he became very Hollywood overnight. <laughs> oh my, uh, Richard Richie the Adamo, you sound totally together to me. I absolutely love it. And one would never know that you have had such a trial. You have suffered so terribly with medical problems of one kind or another. Maybe Kathy could tell me, what would you say about his incredible ability to keep going in, in spite of rough diagnoses, in, in spite of medical pr procedures. Uh, where does that strength come from? It's incredible and inspirational. I, I honestly don't know. It's admirable. I, I, uh, I, I think there's no one like him. I, I really, um, I don't want to say I don't understand it, but I mean, I understand why he, that he has such a love of life, but it's very, very rough. And it's just admirable what he, what he's able to do, and he get he's he sings, he gets up, he's always happy. I'm sorry, I can't say the same about myself, but yeah, he he's admirable. He's a he's a hero to everyone. I, I don't think anybody else could could have gone through what he's gone through. When I first was diagnosed with lung cancer, the doctor told me you have about maybe three months. At first, I, I was really depressed when I heard that. Then I started thinking about this, and I started thinking, well, if I only have three months left, I want to make something out of this amount of time, and I, I don't I don't want to be down. So I I kind of picked myself up, and I I said I'm going to try to take this, not think about this, you know, it doesn't exist, and just go about my my life and try to try to keep above things. And so I did, and I really, most of the time, I, I didn't even think about it. I, I went for week after week, and I, I never thought, you know, that I got this, this, this uh, condition. Even as more and more ca cancers came oh, on my body, yeah. brain tumors, uh, bone, thyroid, all, all of these things, and everybody would say, Richie, you're my hero. And I said, well, don't think about it. You know, it's no good. It's not going to do you any good anyway, so forget about it. I've been trying to hold myself to this this thing right with it now. And then uh, I have to say I I developed this wonderful friend, Kendo, yeah, uh, who, who just gave me inspiration. And I, I want to tell you, he's done so much for me that I wanted to do something for him. So I, I, I made a, 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 rosary, a rosary for him. Fortunately, I finished it right before I went blind. And so I gave him this, and he just told me the last time I saw him, maybe two weeks ago, I talked to him on the phone. In fact, he called me right before he had to, to play the concert when he was here last That's weekend. Weekend. And, and he said, I want you to know that I have your rosary in my pocket all the time. He says, it's always with me. That really moved me tremendously. Now, do you have a theory? Where does the strength come from? Your mom, your dad, your teachers, a combination of things? You have great strength. Where does it come from? All right, you can admit it. I give it to you. <laughs> No, I really, I really don't. I just, I just made, I made up my mind that 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 uh, I was not going to let this uh, go. You know that I, I just thought that this is this is what my life is. I'm just going to have the strength to keep it, and whatever happens, happens. You know. Uh, yeah, it's very inspirational. How how powerful your message 
is you've had an incredible life, incredible experiences, and now this unbelievable challenge of these last few years, but you've kept on going even when the diagnosis was grim. It's amazing. Just great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I should, you know, I figure uh, I had a wonderful life. Uh, I have nothing to uh, regret, so I'm gl- glad that as long as I can maybe inspire some people, that that would be great. Well, you also like to say you're used to suffering. You've been married for 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> my, 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 she, she, she's she's a, a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the two of you have made my day. That's all I can say. And having known you for decades, it was always a joy to be with you backstage and see you on my way out to do a pre-concert talk or into the hall to give a, to just to sit and hear a concert or on tour, seeing you along the way. You always greeted me so warmly, and I cannot thank you enough. This is the story that everyone has that had the opportunity to to meet you and i just can't thank you enough and and on behalf of those who are not having this incredible privilege of speaking with you i want to be sure that you know how you have touched so many people and you are continuing to do so with this wonderful story that you're telling me today i i I can't thank you enough richie oh thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to uh, to talk with you today i I wish i were just uh able to speak a little better uh, because of uh, the, my, my brain is swollen. He just finished uh, his course of whole brain radiation. Yeah, and so it, it, it's difficult for me to, to remember and to say the words that I would like to say to you. I know what I want to say. I can't get them out. Well, that happens to all of us. I guess we have to close for now, but thank you both of you for spending the time with this remarkable story. Since we spoke the last time, I think Kathy mentioned you've been to the doctor and had some good news. I know that's up and down, so I'm glad to hear there was a positive report, your most recent medical visit. Keep it up, will you? I'm trying, Jen, trying to hang in there and go on as long as I can. I love life. That is so great to say. Not everybody does. Life is beautiful. You want to keep it rolling and share the joy with with others as much as you can, even when life throws a lemon at you, I guess. That's not the, the perfect metaphor, but you've really worked very, very hard with your medical staff. It's fantastic. Thank you, Yeah, Jim. he's been hit Thanks. by a bushel of lemons. That's about enough. We don't need any more <laughs> lemonade. We, we can stop hitting, hitting him with lemons. <laughs> Give my love to everyone, Jim.